This is the greatest Sunday in all of the church calendar in the church year. This is the time that we recognize and celebrate Jesus' resurrection from the dead, which is God, God's exclamation point that validates every aspect of Jesus' life. As I, I think about this Sunday, especially more than any other, I am blown away at what God does in lives like we just saw. Uh, seeing how he takes people's hearts and they turns them right side up. You know, the past several uh, months, we've been going through our series entitled The Upside Down Kingdom. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount and what Jesus, uh, or how Jesus desires us as believers in Christ to live, to live our life under His Lordship, that we are to look different, that we are to sound different, that church isn't just Sunday morning, but it is uh, an entire life of taking up our cross and following Him. It's not just having your status or your uh, putting your religious views on Facebook, not like that. It's an entire transformation as we are new creatures in Christ and what it means to walk with him that we see that we have died with Christ and that through his resurrection we have his resurrection life and we are to be these new creatures transformed I mean it's a great Sunday and and today and this weekend there are kids that are celebrating everybody's in their beautiful Easter dresses and and guys are dressed up a little bit um, some more than others myself included Um, And then you have people getting together for Easter egg hunts, right? And I I think of Easter eggs, and I can't but help think of the uh, story that was just out last week um, about this certain little egg that was found. I don't know if you heard this story or not, but there was a scrap metal dealer in uh, somewhere in the United States who had purchased $14,000 worth of scrap metal and was going to melt it down and make a small profit on it. And as he, he purchased it, it was like at some rummage sale. He gathered it all together, and he recognized and realized that he's not going to make any profit whatsoever. When he notices this small little three-and-a-half-inch egg, three-and-a-half-inch egg, he notices it, and he's got, he, he opens it up and sees it. it's got a little clock in it, and it says uh, something Constantine. So he's like, well, maybe this egg looks like it's some, worth, worth something. Maybe if I Google it. I'll do what any person would do. I mean, you'd do it too, right? You'd Google it. So he Googles it and comes up with uh, this egg. And it says that, he, he starts looking at it, and it says that it could be a Fabergé egg. Okay? And so he's like, could it be a Fabergé egg? So he does a little bit more research, and he contacts the world's most thermos expert in Fabergé eggs. And he's in London. Actually, he doesn't just contact him. He, matter of fact, he doesn't even call him at all. He just goes to London. He gets on a plane, shows up, wearing jeans, and he shows up, and he's got these photos, and he says, hey, I understand that you're the world's foremost expert on this uh, type of egg, and here's some pictures of it. Do you think this is a Fabergé egg? And the guy's jaw dropped to the floor, and he's like, is that, I think that's a Fabergé egg that you have. And the guy's like, cool. <laughs> And he goes, well, I have to see it in person. So this guy gets on a plane, goes from London to the United States, goes to this guy's house, and indeed, it's a Fabergé egg that was made for the Russian royal family. And the guy pays $14,000. That's pretty heavy for all the scrap metal. Well, not bad for something worth $33 million. It's one of the most rare, most eggs in the world. See, I think for many of us, when we come to church, we don't realize the gift that we have. Some For us, we just think it's scrap metal, just another thing in life, another thing we do, uh, just something we just go through the motions. God is saying, what you have in your hand, 
What I have available to you is far beyond your imagination to even comprehend. That I have something transformational for you. I have given you my son, the greatest treasure that heaven had to offer. You know, it's amazing to me. Uh, I watched a little special. It was talking about what the Nazis did to art during World War II and how they captured it and destroyed a lot of it. And there's still many of it uncounted for. And people are spending their lifetimes trying to capture these works of art. You know, it's amazing to me that God in Christ that's worth more than all of the masterpieces of this world combined. And what he has for us is transformational, is life-changing. Today, I invite you to look with me and see that God, I want us to see how God makes himself available to us and what he wants from us and what the resurrection even affords to us as believers in Christ. So hopefully you'll turn with me if you have a Bible to the book of Matthew. If you're, hey, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's okay. We have some for you. We'd love you to follow along with us as we go through this together. Just stick your hand up. I'll be giving you page numbers throughout my message to help you find where you're at. Uh, for those that are a little bit more Bible friendly, you might know it. Then I'd ask you to open it up or pull out your Bible app, whatever you do, just to get us into the Word of God together. But before we go any further in our message time, uh, I want to pause and pray as we seek and and to understand all that God has for us because it's more than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Father, we enter into your presence today thankful at what you have done in the lives of Tina and the lives of Caitlin. And Lord, we come before you asking you to continue to work in each one of us. For those who have not yet committed their life but yet are investigating, for those who have gone and turned away from you, and turned away from the church. Lord, I pray that you show them who you are and what your plan is for your bride, your body, the church. And for those of us who are trying to walk with you, Lord, help us to uh, continue to do so more and more, that we might grow in our understanding and knowledge of you and increase in joy as your name increases in glory and fame. We thank you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's jump right in. We are in Matthew chapter 7. We'll be walking piece by piece through this. Now, if we are entering into this life and all that God has for us, not just this life, but the things that he has for us in this life, then this will require uh, several things. And And we have to ask ourselves some question at the onset. What's keeping us from this life right now? What's the, what's the problem? I mean, what is keeping us from experiencing what Jesus is talking about? Well, I, I think for us to truly understand and comprehend what Jesus is saying in this passage, it requires us all addressing our common problem. That's the first point I want you to write down. And you can pull that out in your notes if you want to follow along. Uh, addressing our common problem. We all have a problem. We have a sin problem. And it's a sin problem that keeps us from God. And it's also one that keeps us from truly experiencing all that God has for us in Christ. Notice we see here Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Now, you don't have to ask unless you're missing something. And it's my contention at looking in this passage that we're missing something or lacking something major. Lacking something major. You ever felt like you were lacking something or you were missing something and you didn't know what it was? You ever had that feeling? I had that feeling the other day, Thursday night. My family and I went to Portillo's on Randall and Batavia. 
We're sitting down to eat when my three or my four-year-old son, Elijah, has to go to the restroom. So my wife looks at me and she goes, honey, he's got to go to the restroom. You need to go with him. And as I'm standing up, I just get a text on my phone. It was someone that I was trying to communicate with. And I'm texting as I'm walking at the same time, following my son to the bathroom. And I walk into the bathroom area and I see him with the door propped open, looking at me like, are you coming? So I walk in the door with him and I'm still looking at my phone. And I say, buddy, you got to do what you got to do. And he goes into the stall and I'm standing there behind him. And I'm, I'm li- looking at this text, and I, I look up, and I see this little silver box next to the, the toilet. And I'm sitting there going, well, that's strange. I've never seen one of those in a men's restroom before. Hey, buddy, you better just finish up. And I look, and I hear a flush, and I hear someone walk by me. I'm like, hmm, and I look up, and there's a woman in the mirror. I can see the headline in the Beacon News. Pastor arrested in Portillo's. Terror runs through my body at that moment in time. My son is just pulling his pants out, and I grab him, and I run out of there so fast, and I'm red all over. I'm so embarrassed, and, and, I, I'm, and, it, and it was like the perfect storm, too, because he opened the door, and I didn't see that because he had stood there with the door open. I went to my wife, and I was like, he went into the wrong bathroom. She goes, that's the bathroom he goes when he's with me. And I'm like, oh. So if that was you... I'm sorry. <laughs> but you ever get that picture that, that something's going on in the world and you're missing something? You know? And I, I'm not just talking about a lot. I'm talking about spiritually. That there's something missing. That God has something for us. That's why he says, ask. Ask. It's a present imperative in the Greek. It, and it's an active voice. Meaning it's continued to ask for. That God knows that we lack something. Now, he gives us himself, but yet we won't be complete and have all of that need completely satisfied until we enter into eternity when we're in his presence. So we have to understand that we are, though, lacking something major. Now, secondly, he says, seek and you will find. Now, seeking for something. You ever lost something that's really meaningful, like an heirloom or or like your wedding ring? You don't know where it's at, and you're looking for it. And, and here we see then that not only are we just lacking something major, we're longing for something meaningful. We're longing for something meaningful. Where is it? We have to seek it to find it. Where is it? I, I, I have to find it. You know that God, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, that God has placed eternity into our hearts. That we would have this capacity, we have this desire for God, for something more. That we know that not everything is right. That there's more to life. That God has something for each one of us, no matter where we are, no matter what background that you come from. You might think, hey, I'm not a religious person. I may not believe all this stuff. But you know, there's something within you that I can guarantee that says that there's something more. Because God has placed that within our hearts. Believers... And people who don't believe, there's something not right. And we try all different kinds of things trying to figure out what that not right is. God shows us, no, the answer is in Him. So we see that we are lacking something major. We're longing for something meaningful. But look, it also says, knock and the door will be open to you. Knock, what do you have to knock on the door for? Unless you're looking for someone marvelous. Now, it's in the context of this passage, we understand that Jesus is saying, go to God, knock on the door of God. It means we're looking for something marvelous. You know, even when people sin, they're still looking for God. 
G.K. Chesterton, a man from a bygone area, early 20th century, he was a British man, he said, even when men knock on the door of a brothel, they're looking for God. Because even then, even in the midst of sin, we're looking for something transcendent. Something that is bigger than us. Something that gives us meaning. Something that gives us purpose. It's no secret that one of the best-selling books in the United States has been The Purpose Driven Life. Because in this postmodern, screwed-up world that we live in, that people are looking for purpose. And God is saying, I have a purpose for you. I want to use you for my glory and your joy. I'm going to give you joy as you follow me. It might be times of sorrow. There's going to be a deep, abiding joy. So we have this problem. We, we lack something major. We're looking for something meanif- meaning, meaningful. And we are or longing for something meaningful. And we are looking for someone marvelous. But we don't know what that is. In our hearts, what is it? You know, Jesus is saying, go to God. So we have to go to the right person to find the answer. Go to the right person to find the answer. Notice I put P. Because Jesus says, go to your Father. Notice that within our text in Matthew chapter 7, where he says in verse 10, actually verse 11, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, your Father, go run to the Father. God exists as Trinity and Trinity and Unity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the same substance but different subsistence. Each one known as a divine person, the, t- the three eternally coexisting in a mutual relationship of interdependence, without beginning and without end, overflowing in their love relationship with one another. And we are to go run to God for the answer. You know, when we look for answers today, it's funny, when you hang around with your, your friends, if you have a smartphone and someone gets in a debate about something, like some type of record or some song, what do we do? Google it. Ask the Google. Where we go to find the answers. Now, there's some, but you know, all Google does is give information. It doesn't offer transformation. Only God offers transformation. And we can't stump God. You know, there used to be a, a TV show on ESPN called Stump the Schwab. Stump the Schwab, where this, this guy who was the first ever statistician in ESPN's history, people had have three contestants each week, and they would come for 30 minutes, and they would get the, all these questions, and this guy would answer them. And more often than not, he won, and he would take on all these players. I think his final record was like 64 and 16. People were always trying to stump him with these questions. You know, we can never stump God. He always has the answer for us. He's always making himself available unto us. So we have to go to the right person Now, why do we go to him? Because he is God. He is God. There is no other. There is only one God. The Bible is very clear at that. There are not many gods. There are not many pathways to God. The Bible says that there is only one name under heaven given unto men by which we must be saved. That is the name of Jesus. That at his name, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth. He is not just one God. He is not part of a pantheon of gods. He is not one pathway to God. He is the only true God. The one who came to identify with us. The one who was crucified for us so that we might be brought near to God. We go to God because He is God. We also go to God because He is good. 
because he is good. You know, when we use the term good, it can mean quality, condition, or the benefit of something, such as, oh, that's a good table, or this is a good speaker. We could mean that it's useful, or it could may mean that it was strong and sturdy, or it had good craftsmanship and good quality. But when we use the term in reference to God, the term is elevated, and it's expanded. When we say that God is good, we are saying that He is perfectly benevolent, good-natured to His creation. Indeed, the very definition of that standard, he is the very definition of the standard of the term. A.W. Tozer, Aidan Wilson Tozer, was a pastor in the mid-20th century in Chicago. He said this about God's goodness. The goodness of God is that which disposes him to be kind, cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward men. He is tender-hearted, of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. God is good to us in that he doesn't treat us as our deeds deserve. I mean, think about that. You ever seen someone commit a crime, and you, and you know in your heart they deserve their sentence, and they deserve to be punished instantaneously? You know, the Bible says that we are guilty in the sight of God of failing and, and, and turning our back toward Him and pursuing self and sin and other things. We are guilty, ultimately, of idolatry. See, an idol is not just a little object, a little statue that we can pursue. An idol can be anything that we, we seek to elevate to the status of God in our life. That we, we elevate to that first authority, first importance, that we bow to it. Because every person worships something without exception. Every single one of us. It might be a relationship, it might be a reputation, it might be a pleasure, it could be drugs, it could be alcohol, it could be sex, it could be your children, it could be your work, your career, it could be your comfort, your pleasure. And we are guilty of idolatry. And turning our back on God. And yet he is good to us. He's benevolent to us. Even though we at our core, our heart, is evil, diseased, wicked, desperately sick. God is good to us. So God is, I mean, we go, run to the right person to find the answer. We run to God and we look at his word and, and we learn that he is good. We also learn that he is gracious. That he is gracious. That he is doesn't treat us as we deserve, but He gives us what we do not deserve. That God gives us and He is good to us even when we don't deserve it. That He has it stored up for us, this grace and this goodness. You know, the Bible says that God has stored up goodness for those who fear Him. That He seeks to be gracious God has plenty of goodness in storage. You know, many people today, we have so much stuff that we have to have stuff in storage. God has so much goodness that he's ready to pour out on those who follow him. He's ready to pour it out to us. He's good and he is gracious to us. A good way of understanding grace is a definition by Philip Yancey who said, grace is knowing that God will never love you anymore and that he will never love you any less. Do you know that? He will never love you any more than he does right now. He will never love you any more or any less than he does right at this moment. That he sent his son to die for you. That you might have life in him. 
that you would be transformed. That's the, the wonder of the cross. To show how much God was willing to subjugate and su- or subject himself to such torture for us that we can have life in him. And then he makes himself available to us to commune with us, to talk with us, to hear our hearts, to hear our, our, our pains and our sorrows. He wants to hear our problems. And I mean, he's not a person who that we have to pay to hear us. I mean, people will pay all kinds of money to go to psychiatrists and psychologists and, and just so that the person will help them. Now, I mean, there's, we need help. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that sometimes people just pay them to listen. God is ready and willing to listen. He is gracious to us. That's why we see in verse 11, If you then, who are evil... Know how to give good gifts to your children. It's like verse 10. If he asks for a fish, will you give him a serpent? We give good gifts to our kids, do we not? We like to give them good stuff. We don't like to just hand them coal and rocks and go, here you go. We want to give good gifts to our children. Then so much more. God, your Father, who is in heaven, will give good gifts or good things to those who ask him. It is implied in this verse that we are God's children. I want you to turn with me to the, to the book of Romans chapter 10, if you have a Bible. If you have one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 946. I have it up on the screen for you. Because, you know, it says here that God gives that to His children. His children. And what does it mean to be a child of His? How do we become a child of God? Is it something that we just decide we're a child one day? No, it means that God has convicted us of our sin. We see our need of His Savior. We repent and believe and place our faith in Christ. And the Bible lays it out very simply. Very simply. If you look at the verse, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. You'll be transformed. What does that mean? It means you'll become God's child. Turn with me just a a couple books over to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, that's on page 886. And in John chapter 1, Jesus shows us what it means to become and how we can become a child of God. He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. God has promised to give those who come to Him in repentance and faith eternal life and forgiveness of sin. He's also promised to listen to His children when they call to Him. What are we to do with this incredible opportunity? To talk to Almighty God. I mean, imagine for a moment that you had access to the President of the United States and you could just text him. What would you say? Uh, Some people, I don't want to know what you would say. But think about that. You have access to the President of the United States. Now suddenly your mind has changed. Wow. I might do this. I might tell him this. I might say this. You have access to Almighty God. That He hears your prayer because of Christ. That when He sees you, He sees His Son. Now, if you're a believer in Christ, you are His child. 
That means one who is actively following Christ as Lord. And then if that is the case, then we need to make sure that we are responding to his promises to us. That's the next point. Number, point number three in your notes, responding to his promises to us. See, his resurrection was God's exclamation point on the life of Christ, validating everything else he said. You know, the Bible gives us a couple choices on what we are to do with Jesus, that we can ignore him, or then we can, we can see him as just this lunatic, we could see him as a complete liar, or he is a legend, or he's a lord. The Bible doesn't give us any other choice. If you ignore him, that's making a choice. That's saying that he is one of the other things and not Lord. You are turning your back on Almighty God. I mean, he lays his promises out to us, and the resurrection is its validation point. Well, you might say to me, oh, Travis, other religions have resurrection myths in them. It's true, very true. Uh, the Egyptians did, the Romans did. They all had little different myths. But the difference between the resurrection of Christ from the dead is that it was verified. People saw him. It was within history. The Bible gives names of governors, people that were secular historians, testify to the validity that Jesus Christ was reported to have risen from the dead. It was earth-shattering. People were transformed. I mean, people were giving their life to die for that fact. Because they were so amazed and blown away by it. And if it were a lie, they wouldn't have given themselves for it. We hear their stories. They were blown away at what the resurrection meant for them. And the Bible is very clear. Either he was just a legend that lived, or he was a complete liar. People, people say all the time, oh, I like Jesus' teaching, but I, I just can't do this whole Jesus is Lord stuff. Are you nuts? Jesus said he was the son of God. He said he could forgive sins. I mean, if someone walked up to you today and say, by the way, I can forgive your sins, you'd be like, 911. <laughs> but he backed it up. I mean, it's, it's one thing to call your shot. Babe Ruth, pointing out to the, I mean, that's why we, we're amazed at it. I mean, and there's debate, did he really call a shot? But he points out to the stands, and then he does it. Jesus says, I came to die. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rise from the dead. Bam! good. It's a validation for everything that he is the Lord of all. And and he lays these promises and some of these promises have yet to be fulfilled to us. So we need to respond to these promises. How do we we respond to them? We have to come to him approaching him humbly. Approaching him humbly. Ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. But you realize that he holds all the answers. See, many times we try to make God come to us on our terms. It's like what North Carolina did uh, a few years ago. Their legislature got together and they outlawed the rise in sea level. Great. Good luck with stopping that. Sea level is not going to rise anymore. Yeah, it's not going to stop it. You can say all you want. God, I'm going to do this. Deal with it. He's like, are you kidding me? God is not your monkey. You know, people say all the time, God, if you're real, do this. He's not just on display for you. He's commanding you to repent. You know, it's like when, you, when you're standing with, your, with my child and I say, come here. And he goes, you come here. And I go, what? You better say that again. And the words of Bill Cosby run through my mind. What is it? I brought you into this world. I can take you out. Right? 
And God's saying to us, you come here. But he doesn't go, he does it, he, he does it lovingly. So much more than we, where we fail and where we fall. We have to be approaching him humbly. And then we must make sure that we are asking him confidently. Asking him confidently. Look at verse 7 of Matthew chapter 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Now it's interesting. The ask is in Greek. Uh, it's in the imperative. It's, it's, a, it's a command. It's in the active voice, present tense. It should be done again and again and again. But then it says, and it will be given. It's future indicative and it's the understanding that it will be given. It's, the emphasis is on it that it will come to pass, that God will do it. And it's, it's a passive, meaning that God himself will bring it to pass. It's not dependent upon um, you to, to make it happen. You're to ask. It is depending on you asking, but God will make it happen. So it's understanding that we are to, to ask him confidently. That's what prayer is about. That's what this whole passage is about, is that we can come as children of God into his presence and that he will answer us because he knows the deepest longings of our heart. That's what he knows. He knows everything about us. Asking him confidently and knowing that God will give us good gifts when we ask him requires us receiving his gift thankfully. Receiving his gift thankfully. Have you ever stopped and wondered what God has done for you and thanked him for it? Yesterday, I was walking through the church early last night. And uh, for those that are our guests here today, we've uh, gone through this past year. Uh, a year ago on April 18th, we had a flood in our lower level and uh, kind of decimated everything. And we've been redoing it and, and uh, piece by piece uh, for this entire year. And it's, it's basically done. And it's beautiful. And as I was walking through last night, I was praising God, and I thought of all of the people that have given their time, their talent, their, their money, uh, and, and just served. And I'd look at a different thing, and I'd say, hey, there's John Rosas did that, or Chad Peterson did that, or Gabriel Gonzalez did that, or, or Carlos Martinez did this, and Judy Frieders did that, and, and, and all these names of Andrea Gerhardt and people flying into my mind, one by one by one. And I was just amazed and thankful to God what he had done. To see all that happen in one year and didn't go into debt at all. And see how beautiful it is. And I think of the greatest gift that's been given to us is salvation. God has made himself available to us. How do we respond to that? Are we thankful for what he has done? I mean, all the work that he went to, to, to bring us to him and then to make himself available to him to answer our requests and the cries of our heart. And we must make sure when we are asking, by the way, that we're asking according to the will of God and not to our own sinful impulses. And also to understand that God desires and understands what we need more than we do. That's a hard thing to realize because we get our hearts set on something. And when we, we want it, we ask, and we, we expect it. Sometimes when we just look at it and young in our faith, and we say, hey, believe that you've received it, and I'll, and I'll get it. And it's like it's a wish. Like, it's like it's a Disney, you know, it's like Disney Christianity, that when I wish upon a star, I'm going to get it. It's different. No, Jesus is saying, when you come to me, and you pray according to the will of God, and not with your own sinful desires, then I will give it to you in my time and my way. And if, and if it's something that's not right, then I'm going to say no. I'm going to say, no, he's not a cosmic genie. He is the Lord of all. Receiving his gift, thankfully. And then we must make sure that we are pursuing him continuously. In this text, ask and it will be given to you. Ask, again, present 
active, imperative. Present, seek, present, active, imperative. Knock, present, active, imperative. It's, it's a command. Do this. Do it. And do it again. And do it again. And I'm going to make myself available to you again. And I'm going to communicate myself to you again and again and again. You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, and I, I really love Lewis, I, and I've shared this before. When he read the Psalms, he was bothered by it. He was a scholar of literature. And he was, he was really really frustrated when he would read the Bible before he became a Christian because it seemed that God was saying all the time, praise me, praise me, praise me. And he said it was like a woman wearing a new dress going, do I look nice? (laughs) I said, who wants that? Who wants that? But he started to realize and meditate on it and realize that by God commanding us to praise him, to seek his face, he's communicating himself to us. See, it's in the process of being worshipped that God communicates his presence to men. That's why we are to lift up our voices in praise as we sing to him. I think when people don't sing, they're missing something amazing because God's communicating himself to us. In that moment in time. And see, God is communicating and offering himself to us as we pursue him. He's going to give us himself rather than our sin. Because sin doesn't satisfy. It's like drinking salt water. The more you drink, the sicker you get, the more you want. The more that you continue in sin, that's the process that occurs. And God is saying, no, drink from me and I will satisfy you. The other day... uh, my wife was up with our youngest son in the middle of the night, so I decided to let her sleep in. I took the older two kids to school, and then I came home to see my four-year-old boy smiling, going, do you want to play Transformers with me? I was thinking about all the stuff that I needed to do, and I thought, well, I can give him a couple minutes. And I sat down, and I played Rescue Bots with my little boy. And, you know, he, we're flying around and doing different stuff, and maybe five minutes, and I feel really bad. I haven't got to spend a lot of time, and, but I had, to, I had to go. I said, sorry, buddy, I can't play anymore. I got I to gotta get ready for work and go to work. And so I sat it down. I got ready for work and said goodbye. My wife was there, and I said goodbye. I went home, you know, worked throughout the day. Came home that night, and we're eating dinner together. And, and uh, often when we're sitting around the table, we have a conversation as a family, and we go with lows and highs. Because I say lows and highs, not highs and lows, because I like to start with low first and finish with a positive. So we go with our low for the day. And each kid gets a chance to talk and share about their day, and adults do as well. And it came to my little boy, and he shared his low, and then he shared his high. And he said, what was your high, Elijah? And he says, it was when Daddy played with me this morning. That was his high. For me, it was just a small part of our day. And I realized in giving him that, I was communicating my presence to him, and that's what he wanted. It wasn't the play. It was the dad. See, when God says, ask, seek, knock, He's communicating his presence to us. That's what he really wants to do. He's offering himself to us. He supremely offered himself through Christ. And then when we receive him, then we we go back to him again and again and again in prayer, seeking his face, asking him to transform us because the more that we are exposed to him, the more that we become like him. You know, it's like a... uh, I, I saw a movie several years ago, You Something 41. Anybody know that movie? Russian submarine, it's a nuclear submarine, and all the, the, the guys on board were exposed to radiation. And what happens, the longer that you're exposed, the more damage it's done. But see, it's the opposite with God. The more that we're exposed to Him, the more that we're transformed to be like Him. The more that we start looking like Him and sounding like Him. We're not perfect. We won't be until we enter into glory with Him. But we do enter into His presence 
forever and ever. See, in God, through Christ, we have more than we could ever imagine. We learned about the Fabergé egg we heard at the beginning, but that guy didn't know what he had. But when he did, he held on to it. There's another story about a husband who uh, his wife was uh, giving birth to their fifth child. And she had taken her wedding ring off and she'd put it in a small box in their bedroom. Um, she didn't want to lose it when she was at the hospital. And they were at the hospital together and baby was born and came back home. And, and uh, as, as he's going, uh, they come back home and he's trying to kind of clean up around the house and she's resting. And he sees this old box and grabs it and puts it with all the stuff for a rummage sale. And he sells it to a woman who comes by and has to buy the box. So he sells it for 10 bucks. He sells his wife's wedding ring for 10 bucks. And here's the kicker. It was an heirloom, and it was worth $22,000. Now, see, many of us don't realize what we have in Christ, and we're just giving it away for nothing. We don't take advantage of what God has for us. We don't realize the precious treasure that is found within his word and that how he makes himself available to us to speak with us, to share with us, because as he does, he's communicating himself to us, and he will communicate himself to you if you are his child. And how do you become his child? By repenting and believing, by turning away from your sins, doing an about-face and turning to the Savior. The Bible says that he who sins is a slave to sin and that we are held captive, but Jesus came to set the captives free that he would incline our hearts and turn our hearts right side up to him, and that we might learn what it means to be in his kingdom. And how do you receive him? That if you call on his name, repent and believe, that's it. It's not just that verbal affirmation, though. It's a giving of your heart. When I say that's it, I'm saying is it's simple, but it's profound, and it's transformational, and it's available to all who call upon him. And if you wish to do that, I would invite you to pray with me, commit your life to him, then he will transform you, and then tell someone about your commitment. And for those of us who have walked with him, and we need to renew our commitment to him and see that the treasure that he has for us, and may we enter it again and again for his glory and our joy. Let's pray. Father, we're amazed at what you have done in and through Christ that his resurrection has afforded us new life, and it's your exclamation point on everything that he said and did and has promised to us. Lord, for those who are here today and they don't truly understand who you are yet, I pray that they might stand at the foot of the cross and survey it and see all that you have done and how your love was poured out on Calvary and the validation of God's pronouncement towards sin was seen in your resurrection. Lord, I pray that they might repent of their sin and place their faith in you. And for those of us whose hearts have grown cold, I pray, Lord, that you take the paddles of your spirit and shock us and bring us back to life to see who you are and what it means to be a follower, a true follower of you. And Lord, for those that are, that are walking along and feel discouraged, I pray that you encourage them. Let them know that they are loved. Let them know that even though men may fail, believers may fail, pastors, elders may fail, but you will never fail. That you are their ever-present help in time of need. And that you can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. May your name receive glory. In Jesus' name, amen.